<laughs> Welcome to Real Faith. You are listening to Faith FM with Robbie and Beck. How are you going today, Beck? Yes, it has been a busy week, but I'm doing well. I'm doing well. That's good. Why has it been such a busy week for you? For me, it's been uni break, which seems, oh, you should not be that busy. But we, in fact, have like a multitude of assignments due. But also, I've been involved in a children's program this week. So we've been running a kids program, a kids club, uh, teaching about the Bible, doing crafts and games and sport. It's been really fun. And actually, everyone in the office today has been involved in that. So Isn't that epic? Oh, it's been such a blessing. I've really enjoyed being involved in it. Uh-huh. It's been a little tiring. Yes. But, you know, that's that's just life, isn't it, sometimes? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Sometimes you just... You just got to give a 110% for a week and get through the awesomeness. Yeah. And then next week, maybe have a little bit more sleep. It's been a real <laughs> blessing. Always exciting to work with kids. Awesome. Yeah. So tell me, what has been good out of that experience? Something strange happened today. Actually, yes. Really. Something strange had happened. But I, I mean, I wouldn't say that's good. We can get to that. But <laughs> what has been good? You know what? It's been really good. We had a small, smaller group of children come and it's been really nice because they can bond getting to know each other. Um, we've been doing crafts and things and getting to know the kids and their names and their little personalities has been awesome. So I've actually really enjoyed just spending time with them as a group. It's been really fun. That's awesome. I think that one of the best things that you can do in life is get involved in service to other people. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it's, it can be a, a challenge. It can have lots of difficulties. And often, in fact, it does have difficulties come up. But I find that when we're involved in giving of ourselves for the sake of someone else, we find that there is an immense blessing that is returned to us yeah. just in the simple fact of doing it. And I think the reason is because that's that's the very character of who God is. Yeah, That's what love looks like. It looks like doing something for someone else for their best long-term good, even when you don't feel like it, yeah, absolutely. et cetera. And I think that that's, that's a powerful thing and it just it's transcendent. Talk about doing good, Robbie. What was your do-good thing today? Oh, I had a great experience today. Well, it was kind of sad. I'm going to make it real, real short. Maybe it'll come up later in the show. But there was a, there was a bird that fell on the ground and wasn't able to, to fly away. So we collected it and took it into the vet. Yes. And still waiting to hear back. Um, I think it may have broken a bone or something, but we'll see. Mm-hmm. But it was really nice to be able to connect with nature in that way and to yeah. be able to take this, this bird. Because, you know, God says that even when a little sparrow falls from the sky, it doesn't escape his notice. Yeah. And so I just, it was cool to kind of have that experience today. But we have... I guess not really in line with that at all, but in, in another totally different <laughs> subject, we have a great show lined up for you today, and uh, we missed being with you guys last week as yes. we were away, and uh, super stoked to be continuing our Heroes of Faith series, which we're actually coming to the to a close on shortly, and we are going to continue with our story of Samuel today, who started out as the youngest prophet in the Bible, and we're going to talk about him as an older man today, and what happens in his life, and in the Israelite life as well. So we're looking forward to that, and we've got Testify coming up later from Adrian. We'll see you soon. This is the Homeland Singers' Oh Happy Day.
Welcome back to Real Faith with Robbie and Beck. You're listening to Faith FM. And today, for uh, we're going to do something a little bit different. We're going to have our Testify segment first. Yeah. And we'll do our Weird and Wonderful segment later. And we're super excited to have our friend Adrian in the office today, or in the radio studio. That's the word. So welcome, Adrian. Thank you very much. Great to be here. Yeah, we're stoked to have you. So tell us just briefly a little bit about yourself, and then we'll get into a bit of your story and how you came to Jesus. Mm-hmm. Wow. Oh, a bit about myself. Uh, yeah, well, uh, married with one well, one wife, two children. Yeah, that's, <laughs> that's all right. That's a, yeah. that's that's good. a good thing. Yeah, no pets because we're never at home. So, mm-hmm. um, Wise yeah, decision. Yeah. It's a good decision. <laughs> yeah. uh, been involved in ministry uh, for, for many, many years. Uh, worked for yeah, the church organization. Um, yeah, for, for a few decades now. Good on you. Um, that's moved awesome. Moved around a little bit. Lived in some different places. Lived in some interesting places. But um, yeah, that's that's basically me, I guess. Awesome. Well, thank you for sharing a little bit about yourself, Adrian. We'd love to hear a little bit more about your story of how you came to Jesus. What was life like before? Sure. How did that experience encounter take place? And kind of what's what's life like been like since yeah. since that moment? Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, I had the privilege of growing up in a Christian home. Um, and uh, in, in Adelaide, in South Australia, uh, I was the baby or the last of five. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but I, I guess life was a bit tough. Uh, finances were always very tight. Um, but we, uh, yeah, we went to church um, as a family. Uh, got involved in church activities. Um, you know, some outdoory things, uh, similar to like scouts, that kind of thing, which was really a lot of fun. But I guess um, it always had the sense that. Um, well, maybe I was. I thought that if I if I do good things, if I do the right thing, yeah, you know, then God will kind of look look smile down on me. Mm-hmm. Um, so looking back on it now, it was really I was trying to be good. I was trying to do good things. Yeah, that was my that was my concept, and I don't blame my parents. But you know, uh, when you're growing up as a kid. Um, you know, you get a reward if you do something good or, you know, if you help somebody or do a job or something like that. And I guess I was transferring that to my relationship with God. Okay. But it got to the point where I thought, hang on, this is not working. I, you know, I, I can't do enough good things. I can't, you know, I'm not satisfied. What, you know, there's, there's always more to do. There's always something else uh, that you can do for God. And I guess it got to the point where there was a really strong realisation that, uh, there's something deep down inside of me that rebels against God. You know, um, I guess it's the sin thing. You know, there's that there's that natural bent. I remember an incident. Um, I was staying with my brother and his wife, and they had a, a little son. Uh, it was about two years old, mm-hmm. and it was back in the days of the oh, we're, we're, we're back there now, the record players. And I remember um, this little boy's mum, uh, my nephew, uh, his mum saying to him, "Don't touch the record player." You know, because mum liked to have good, nice music on. And as soon as my nephew's mum, uh, my, my sister-in-law, went out of the room, I was just poking my head around the corner and here's this little two-year-old grabbing hold of the arm with the needle on it oh, and no. uh, uh, across the... And the, destroying across, all the vinyl. Across, <laughs> across mum's. And, and I guess I resonated with that, that there's something innate with us that rebels against, you know, uh, we, we, we're just... There's, there's this seed of badness in, um, mm-hmm. in us, if you like. And I guess um, also growing up, um, you do the things that your parents do. You know, you, you go to church with them. Uh, you have family worship with them. Um, it's, it's their faith. It's not your faith. And I guess I got into my middle teen years and I thought, hey, hang on, I've got to work this out for myself. 
Mm. Um, I can't rely on my parents mm. uh, for the rest of my life. I have to make a decision. Is this thing real? Um, is it going to be real for me as an individual? Um, or is it something I'm going to discard and just walk away from? Because unless it became my decision, um, my choice, then, uh, yeah, uh, it, it wasn't going to have a lot of meaning. And so um, I, I remember distinctly, I can still remember today, and it was a fair few years ago now, but uh, we had this old family home and at the back of it there was a sleep out. It was like a veranda that had been filled in and that was the boys' bedroom. Oh, cool. And, I, and we had bunks in the room and there wasn't a lot of space and so forth. And I remember kneeling at my bed and um, I can almost remember the words that I prayed. I said, God, if you are real, if you are there, then I want to invite you into my life. Um, and I can't say that there was any lightning bolt. I can't say that there was any dramatic conversion. I didn't feel any different. I just sense that God was real at that moment. Amen. And, um, and, and, and from that point on, I can't say that my life was perfect. I mean, so far from it. Um, it was almost as if the struggle was got worse at that point, like there was this battle going on, you know, between the forces of good and the forces of evil. And, and, and things got worse. And I said, God, if, it's, if this is what it's like to be a Christian, you know, if this is what it's like to be converted, this is hard yakka. Um, <laughs> but, you know, um, God was very faithful. And, uh, and it was just a growing realisation that it's not about me. It's not about the good things that I can do, you know, the good deeds that I can do, the more people I can help. It's not about that at all. Yes, that's part of being a Christian, but it's what God can do for us and in us. Mm -hmm. You know, it's 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 like um, you know trying to um, trying to uh, uh, make our way to heaven. I mean, yeah. you know, the the best that we humans can do can put a is put a man on the moon, and and uh, you know that's even that's just the backyard of the universe. Um, so I can't get the, I can't do it on my own, mm -hmm. and um, I, I guess there was that growing realization that. Um, yeah, I just wanted God to be in my life, um, and I've endeavoured to do that on a regular basis. I find that uh, the sin thing doesn't go away. The temptation thing doesn't go away as, as long as you're a Christian. Mm. Um, it's still there, and it's still a battle, and, and it's still surrendering our lives to God. Um, but I wouldn't give it up for the world. Amen. That's awesome, man. Thank you so much for sharing that, Adrian. And it's so relatable, I think, for so many of us that you know maybe we haven't had an experience that's been dramatic from one side of the spectrum to the other. But does that mean that God is not working? Absolutely yeah, not. Absolutely, yeah. Because God is working. Yeah. And I love that about your story. Thank you so much for sharing that. And uh, we're going to take a break and go to a song now. We're going to go to Vintage Season, and the song is called Patchwork.
Some people say that it's Welcome back to Real Faith with Robbie and Beck. You're listening to Faith FM, and we're just about to wrap up our Testify segment. Yeah, and so, um, Adrian, thank you for sharing your story with us. And um, I know that it's a time that can be hard when you're a teenager and when you're going through things and you want to know, is God real? What's happening? And I really appreciated how you said that maybe you didn't feel or see something significant, but you believed Uh, Because I think that's so much what a lot of our faith is. We don't always have a light bulb, like something great happening. And we hear awesome stories, which is awesome. But for what the rest of us who might not have a a massive conversion Mm. experience, um, this is really relatable. So just on that note, if you could just share with us, maybe what would you say to somebody who's in the same sort of place that you were? Yeah, I think back um, it's really important that we own our own faith. Mm -hmm. We can't rely on other people. Um, as we're growing up, you know, as I mentioned before, um, we do we do have our parents' faith. We do the things that they do. We go where they go. We participate in their activities. But at some point, it's got to transfer from their faith to our faith, my faith. And for anyone listening, yeah, just is it your faith or is it somebody else's faith? Mm-hmm. Even the faith of a pastor or a respected friend. Have you thought about it for yourself? Have you asked those questions yourself? Um, and have you uh, made those decisions for yourself? Yeah. I think that's important. Yeah, really important. And then speaking of making decisions, when you made that decision. So, yeah, what has your life been like different? You know, what's your journey been like different to how it was? And, and how did you come to the point where you are now? Yeah, um, I, I, it's, it's certainly been growing, um, Beck. It's... it's uh, have, I, have we arrived? Has anybody arrived? No. We, I don't, I, it won't be until Jesus comes back again that we'll arrive. So we're on a journey, and I think it's allowing Jesus to walk with us in that journey. We're going to have our ups and downs. You know, none of us are perfect. Um, and as I mentioned before, the sin doesn't go away. The temptation doesn't go away. The devil seems to maybe even try harder. Mm. And it can be a little bit discouraging. You think, you know, you've, you've given your life to God or you've invited him into your life. And then you think, well, it's going to be a bed of roses from here on in. But it's not. You know, it is a journey. And uh, I think it's about just hanging in there mm-hmm. uh, and about uh, um, every day just saying, God, I want you to be part of my life today. Yeah. Uh, and uh, if, if, if there's a trip up, if there's a fall, 
Um, God is there to catch us. I mean, he's so loving, he's so gracious, um, and, and he'll pick us up. I often use the example of, uh, of uh, um, learning to ride a push bike, that all of us, you know, we scrape our knee, we stub our toe on the ground, or we fall over or something. The bad thing is not falling off the bike. The bad thing is not getting up and having another go. Yeah. Mm. And I think that's really important for, for all of us, just to get up and have another go, knowing that Jesus is going to be by our side and he'll never leave us. Amen. Amen. That's awesome. Thank you so much for your time, Adrian. May God continue to bless you and your family and your ministry. And, um, yeah, just thank you so much for sharing. It's so relatable. Very welcome. This is Matt and Josie Minicus, Sleep Tight. Welcome back to Real Faith with Robbie and Becky, listening to Faith FM. And just before we get into our weird and wonderful world, I just wanted to remind you all that we have a question of the week segment at the end of the show. Yeah. And we would love to hear from you of any questions that you have about God or the Bible, um, any of those kinds of things. And you can send those in to us and we will get to those. We've got some questions from a fortnight ago that we're going to get into today as well. Um, if you'd like to do that, you can call in at 1-800-FAITH-FM. That's one 800 324 or you can text us at 0491-064-669, or you can even shoot us a message on our Facebook page. So what do you have for our weird and wonderful world facts today, Beck? Yes. Well, I love plants. I especially love- You and me both. Houseplants. 
I think never mind. <laughs> I love outdoor plants as well, but I like house plants. What do you mean, never mind? The ones that are outside, I like them to be inside so much. Like it makes your house brighter and better. It's amazing. I think so, it's just better to be camping and just be outside <laughs> and in and amongst it. Anyway, you, you tell us more. Tell us weird more. and wonderful fact is about the Chinese bamboo tree. Oh, you mean giant grass? Yeah, yes, but it's called a tree. So, Chinese bamboo tree. Like any plant, it requires growth, nurturing, water, sunshine, good soil. But this is an amazing plant. I don't know if you've heard about it before, but when I did, I thought it was such a good illustration. Um, how long does it take, Robbie? You grow things. Normally, That's not how, true. My how, wife grows things. <laughs> okay, your wife grows things. <laughs> I eat things. You see it. How long would it normally take, do you reckon, if you plant a seed, to see something shooting up through the ground? Uh, I'm guessing it's it's days to weeks. Yeah, yeah, like, absolutely. Just based on the garden that my wife's been growing, which Excellent. has been going well, well but just it's just not my thing. Excellent. <laughs> so the thing about the Chinese bamboo tree is that you water it, you put it in good soil, you wait. In the first year, nothing happens. You keep watering it every day. Wow, you're Second kidding me. year, nothing happens. For two years, for three years, for four years, you water the ground and nothing happens until year five. In year five, the fifth year, something happens. There's massive growth. And the growth that happens is that it grows between 25 and 27 meters in just six weeks. What? So That's in, insane. In one day, it can grow over a meter. And so it grows in just six weeks. So there's nothing for four years. And then in six weeks, it grows to 25 meters. It's, I'm hoping that that's my life. It's amazing. <laughs> it holds the Guinness World Record for being the fastest growing plant. And I just think it's such an amazing thing. You can actually see it. It grows about an inch an hour. You can physically see it growing in front of your eyes. And so wow, something incredible. that I thought, some things we can draw from this is that, man, you look at our life and things that happen in our Christian walk and Often we're just plodding along. We're just sort of going day by day. But in this time, our patience is tested um, and you have to be patient and trust that God is still working in your life. Also, you have to have faith that what you're doing, the watering, the nurturing of the seed over those years, you have to have faith that is making a difference and that a fruit will come of it. Um, and then the result is that they can come really fast and hard, but also it can take a while for them to come in. So I think sometimes if we're working for God, if we're doing anything, or even even if you're doing a, a normal life thing, you're, you're working on exercise, health, different things, it can take time and you don't seem to always see benefits until the very end. But then there can be massive growth and massive awesome results and i think that that's such a blessing that we can learn from the chinese bamboo tree that's awesome you know that that strikes me as it just reminds me of the endurance of the saints as it talks about in scripture to endure to the end to be resilient to keep holding on yeah. hold fast until the end thank you beck that's an awesome lesson and uh we'll be right back after this short break road, jordan Roll, roll, 
my lord, setting up in that kingdom, Welcome back to Real Faith with Robbie and Beck. You're listening to Faith FM. And uh, by the way, it's time for us to uh, get into a Bible study. But before yes. that, uh, we just wanted to remind you that if you've got a question that you'd like to send in, that you can do so. And Beck's going to tell us how we can do that. Yes. You can call in 1-800-324-843. That's 1-800-FAITH-FM. Or you can text us on 0491-064-669. That's 0491-064-669. Or you can hit us up on Facebook, Faith FM Australia. Awesome. So we're going to get into our Bible study here. But before we do, we just like to open with a word of prayer. God in heaven, we just thank you for your word, and we pray that as we open it today, that your spirit would speak to us and lead us and teach us and guide us, leading us to Jesus. In his precious name we pray, amen. amen. All right, so last last time we were together, which is a while ago, a couple weeks ago, because they had a power outage or something here, and um, we looked at Samuel. Now, yes. what can you remember about Samuel? Quick pop quiz, boom, boom. Yeah, so Samuel was the first... The youngest prophet ever. That's right. Yes. And so (laughs) one point. He was basically living as a godly young man in what seemed to be a quite ungodly group of men at the time. Totally. Yeah. Anything else we can remember? He started to lead the Israelites. He started to lead them um, and everybody Oh, through him, the word of the Lord came back to the people. So they, through him, they started to become in communion again with God. Oh, isn't that an amazing story? That was, you, also, you got all three points right there. That was well done. I'm impressed. Um, isn't it amazing that God used a small child mm-hmm. who was willing to respond to God's call to be the one who led the people, began to lead the people back towards God? And so he goes on to judge, and what that means is basically that he was he was a leader mm-hmm. of all of Israel, because the way that the system was set up at the time was that there was no particular leader. The structure was set up tribally, and so each of the tribes looked after themselves and then protected each other in times of difficulty, etc. But there was not a designated leader all the time. Yeah. And there were times at this period of Israel's history, as you read through the book of Judges, after Joshua finished his leadership role, uh, when he replaced Moses, as the Israelites came from Egypt into the Promised Land, that after this time, basically Israel went on this giant roller coaster of being unfaithful to God, and then God would raise up what's called a judge or a leader who would then lead the people mm-hmm. against enemies. And they sometimes did a decent job. Sometimes they didn't do a great job at all. And there was kind of this back and forth of people came back to God, walked away, came back to God, walked away, came back to God, walked away. And during this period, a lot of things were forgotten about. And um, it's amazing that we come into this story and we hear about Samuel 
And Samuel begins this journey of leading and judging Israel as a prophet. Now, what's a prophet? Yeah, a prophet is somebody who speaks God's words to the people. So sometimes they can be words for the future, um, which we sometimes know as like prophesying something for the future. But also it can be God's words for now. So just speaking, translating what God has shared to the people. That's exactly right. So anyone who's delivering a message from God to the people is is doing the role of a prophet. Mm-hmm. That is prophecy. We see prophecies that tell the future, but we also see prophecies in the Bible that are not to do with the future, they're to do with the now, as you said. And so this is his role. And at times we'll see that he does foretell things, that God tells him things that will happen. And there are other times where his job is just to call people back to what God had said. Mm-hmm. Now, we're not going to spend too much time in the life of Samuel. There's not actually all that many stories that take place. We know that he was faithful. We know that the the Ark of the Covenant, where God's Ten Commandments were, along with some other uh, remnants of of things that had happened. You know, for example, there was a jar of manna, this bread that God had brought from heaven, Aaron's rod that had miraculously budded with almond blossoms and fruited itself. These were there as as reminders of what God had done in, in their journey out of Egypt, but. Once that had been brought back, it doesn't tell us a whole lot about Samuel until we get to the end of Samuel's life, basically. We're coming towards the end. He's been leading for a long time. He's getting old. He's getting gray hair. and I'm starting to get gray hair, so don't panic too much if that's you out there. It's okay. God is still faithful. And that's where we're <laughs> going to jump into our story. So, Beck, would you like to read for us those few verses in 1 Samuel chapter 7, just to round out the little bit of the context, and we'll jump into our story. Yeah. And Samuel judged Israel all the days of his life. He went from year to year on a circuit to Bethel, Gilgal, and Mizpah, and judged Israel in all those places. But he always returned to Ramah, for his home was there. There he judged Israel, and there he built an altar to the Lord. Awesome. This just as a side note, what a, what a really helpful point for leadership, right? Yeah. He went and visited all of his people every year. He would go through. Now, by the way, that was a that's a lot of people that he went around and visited. So, anybody out there who's working in ministry or in leadership of any role, remember, visit your people. I'm feeling very convicted right now as I read that. <laughs> all right, and now we're going to jump into the story for today. And the story is what's going to take place as Samuel's come towards the end of his life. He's not quite at the end. But something takes place, and the people of Israel become dissatisfied with what's going on in terms of the leadership of the country, and this leads to our story today where we're going to encounter a person named Saul for the first time in the Bible. Mm -hmm. So let's continue reading in 1 Samuel chapter 8, starting with verse 1. So that's 1 Samuel in the Old Testament, starting in chapter 8, verse 1. Now it came to pass, when Samuel was old, that he made his sons judges over Israel. The name of his firstborn son was Joel, and the name of his second, Abijah. They were judges in Beersheba, but his sons did not walk in his ways. They turned aside after dishonest gain, took bribes, and perverted justice. Then all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah and said to him, Look, you are old, and your sons do not walk in your ways. Now make us a king to judge us like all the nations. All right, so what's going on here? Yeah, it seems a little bit like a repeat of Eli and his sons. It does, doesn't it? Yeah, which is really hard because we know Samuel was a really good godly man, um, but his sons did not follow in his way. They made their own choices, and I think it was it relates really to the testimony that Adrian shared earlier that you have to not have the faith just of your parents. It has to become your own faith. And clearly the faith had not become theirs or, or the goodness and, and following in God's ways was not 
was not in their lives. And isn't it a challenging thing to think about? Now, I'm, I'm not a parent yet. Um, and by the way, I don't, I don't know that that's coming anytime soon, just in case anybody uh, comes up to ask, are you pregnant? No, uh, as far as we know, we're not. But anyway, the, that, that was, sorry, it was a huge <laughs> tangent. Anyway, I'm not a parent and I don't know exactly what that would be like, but I can imagine that that would be a heartbreaking experience mm. to come to the point where, you know, you've led God's people, you've led your family to the best of your ability, and they're beginning to make choices that are out of alignment with the very way that you intended to raise them. Yeah. And you know, we as a parent, parents have a huge responsibility, um, a huge responsibility on, the, on the, the development of the character and personality of their child. It's a big responsibility, and it's one that God highly esteems. You know, the, for example, the role of motherhood and fatherhood, these are specific things that are necessary for development. But there are times when even though you've done the best that you can, you've led them to Jesus the best that you can, you've done your best to set a good example, that they still have free will. And we see that here. Mm-hmm. You know, one thing that strikes me in this is just, it's interesting that his sons were led to be judges because their father was a judge. And I think just as a side note, sometimes we shouldn't put people into a position of authority just because their parents were, yeah, or because that was the family tradition. But sometimes we should just pick the best man for the job. Yeah, are you qualified? <laughs> are you able to do yeah. it? Yeah, definitely. And you know, when it comes to spiritual leadership, the the biggest qualifying factor is not so much experience, but faithfulness to God. Yeah, and clearly they were lacking in that department. Yeah, and it didn't work out to be good. So what do the people do? Yeah, well, the people here are asking for a king, um, and they're saying that look, your sons are not good to be leaders for us, which is true, and they were right in that. But then they start to make an error here where they start to ask like a king because they want to be like the other nations. Oh, and isn't that a huge problem? Yeah. So think about this. Things are going bad. The system that they have trusted is starting to fail, right? Now, this is the system kind of that God put in place, right? In the sense that God had called and raised up Samuel to be a judge. The system that God had actually put in place was that God was to be the leader of all the people and they were to all have personal autonomy and responsibility and be faithful to God's commands and calls. And if they were to operate in society in that way and they were all to be altruistic and they were all to follow all of God's commandments and moral laws, then this would have worked if they had all been that way. But the problem was they weren't. And how often do we see that happen in real life? We think that if we can just... That, that people are inherently good and that will just happen. Well, it doesn't. The only way it happens is if people are willing to surrender and submit to God and choose to do his ways instead of their own ways when they're in conflict. Yeah, and but, mm, something that we see as well is that this sort of this has happened before and it, there was a famine for God's word in the land and then God raised up Samuel. So if God raised up Samuel, we know that he can raise up people now to help be leaders. And so the people are not relying on that, even though they have Samuel very much before them. Yeah, exactly. And the problem is that instead of them going to God to fix the problem, they come to God's mouthpiece, God's prophet, and they say, this is what you need to do for us. Mm-hmm. Instead of going with a, a humble heart and asking for God to give a solution, they go in and they say, we want to be like the world around us. Do this for us. Yes. And they're not coming in ready to listen for God's leading. They're coming in telling God what he needs to do mm-hmm. for them by their standards. 
And so check this out. Now imagine if you were Samuel, you'd invested your whole life. And by the way, leadership is a challenging thing. It's not something that's easy. And to lead an entire nation would be a nightmare, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. It's hard enough to lead anybody. Can you imagine how dejected you might feel at this point? Yeah. So let's keep reading and find out what happens next and how Samuel responds. Verse 4. Then all the leaders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah and said to him, Look, you are old and your sons do not walk in your ways. Now make us a king to judge us like all the nations. But the thing displeased Samuel when they said, Give us a king to judge us. So Samuel prayed to the Lord, and the Lord said to Samuel, Heed the voice of the people in all that they say to you, for they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me, that I should not reign over them. According to all the works which they have done since the day that I brought them up out of Egypt, even to this day, with which they have forsaken me and served other gods, so they are also doing to you. Now therefore, heed their voice. However, you shall solemnly forewarn them and show them the behavior of the king who will reign over them. All right, now check this out. What were those words that he said? He says, God says to Samuel, they have not rejected you, Mm -hmm. but they have rejected me. Yeah. That I should not reign over them. So check this out. This Mm -hmm. is huge. When someone rejects the message that we give, say as a Christian, when I bring the story of Jesus to someone and they reject me, that's a hard experience, right? Because we want to be loved, we want to be liked, but we also, more than that, hopefully we want the message to be heard and to be liked. But one of the powerful, most powerful transitions you can make in your mind when you're talking about, I want to share my faith with other people so they can know the hope that I found in Jesus, is that when they reject the message, they're not rejecting you, they're really rejecting God, mm-hmm. right? And the powerful thing that's going on in that space is that God comforts Samuel. He says, hey, don't take it too hard, son because they're not actually rejecting you, they're rejecting me. And what's amazing is that God allows them the freedom to make this decision. He says, hey, you know what? You're gonna allow them to have that king. Take it on the chin, it's all right. Mm-hmm. It's me that they've rejected, not you. Yeah. And we're gonna find out that he, he, well, actually we already just read it. Like he says that there's gonna be a, a caveat to this. I will allow them to do this, but you need to forewarn them. You need to tell them the message that this is not gonna be an easy road for them. Mm-hmm. Having a king is gonna have downfalls that they don't expect. And that's a powerful, I think that's a powerful thing. We're supposed to give that message. He's, he's given the message of warning, mm-hmm. and they're gonna do with it what they do. That's not Samuel's responsibility. His responsibility is to be faithful to what God has told him to share. Yeah, absolutely. And something that I see there as well is that, It says in verse 6, the thing displeased Samuel when they said, give us a king to judge us. And what I see is that they said, look, your sons are not walking in the way. He wasn't really displeased about that. He didn't, he know, he he learned and he knew that he wasn't trying to defend them. The thing that he struggled with was that now they're trying to turn away, away from God. And I just find that really comforting that, you know, we can be leaders and sometimes we know things and we know that God can bring an answer and a good result to that, but we need to come to God because he's the one that will actually bring that result. Mm, Totally. Let's keep reading a little bit before the break and let's continue on. So Samuel told all the words of the Lord to all the people who asked him for a king. And he said, this will be the behavior of the king who will reign over you. He will take your sons and appoint them for his own chariots and to be his horsemen, and some will run before his chariots. He will appoint captains over his thousands and captains over his fifties, will set some to plow his ground and reap his harvest, and some to make his weapons of war and equipment. 
for his chariot. All right. So he's telling them there's going to be some consequences. Basically, the king is going to require of you things that you don't have to give right now because you've got full autonomy. And he's going to tell them a bit more when we come back from the break. This is Cliff Richard, Shine, Jesus, Shine.
Welcome back to Real Faith with Robbie and Beck. You're listening to Faith FM. And uh, before we get back into our Bible study looking at Samuel, we just wanted to do another shameless plug yes. for Question of the Week because we love hearing from you guys. And so if you've got a question about the Bible or about spirituality, about mm-hmm. God, about Jesus, any of those kinds of things, and it doesn't have to be on topic, you might think, oh, it might be a silly question, but you know... Sometimes the questions we think are too simple for everyone else are the questions that everyone is dying to know the answers to. Absolutely. So if you've got any questions, please send them in, and you can do so by... Yeah, you can call us on 1-800-324-843. That's 1-800-FAITH-FM. Or text us on 0491-064-669. That's 0491-064-669. Awesome. So we were just in the middle of Samuel's warning of what some of the detriments of having a king would be. Yes. And so we're going to continue on with that reading. Mm -hmm. So we are up to verse 13. The king, it says, he will take your daughters to be perfumers, cooks, and bakers, and he will take the best of your fields, your vineyards, and your olive groves, and give them to his servants. He will take a tenth of your grain and your vintage and give it to his officers and servants. And he will take your male servants, your female servants, your finest young men and your donkeys and put them to his work. He will take a tenth of your sheep and you will be his servants. And you will cry out in that day because of your king whom you have chosen for yourselves. And the Lord will not hear you in that day. Now, I think it's really interesting when you read through that. Basically, it just sounds like he's talking about taxes and people aren't going to be happy about those kinds of things. That infrastructure apparently wasn't built in the same way into their system. But you know what's really interesting? Like there was there was no unemployment benefits or the dole. There, none of those things existed in this time. But if you'll remember, as you read through what's called the Torah, the first five books of the Bible, God gave Moses an outline of how the society was to run, mm-hmm. including a legal system, including social welfare in a sense, right? And it was based on personal accountability. So you would then, if you were a farmer, for example, you were not to go through your, your fields twice. You would go through once, and then all the leftovers were there for the people who didn't own land or who were poor, and they could come through, and they could gather the rest of it, yeah. right? And so there were all of these things that were given. They were also required to come and make offerings that were going to be blessings. Whenever you would have a feast, you would invite the poor and the widow and those people to your place. So God had set up a system that would take care of the people. But the interesting thing is that here, as soon as you have a king coming in, he's talking about, hey, you're supposed to return a tenth of your stuff to God because he calls for that. On top of that, there's offerings, but he's saying, but when you get a king, he's going to call for an extra tenth of everything that's yours, mm-hmm. and he's going to take some of your fields and the best things you're going to give to him. He's, gonna, he's saying, basically, when you get a king, bro, it's not going to be as easy as you think. There's going to be extra expense for you. Yeah. And then he said that what's going to happen is you're going to ask to not have this burden. You're going to say, actually, we changed our mind. We made a mistake. And basically, God's going to say, these are your consequences, and you reap the consequences that you sow. That's right. That was a nicer way to say it than I was going to say. I was just going to say, too bad, so sad. Right? But, but isn't it true that there are times where we expect that God, you know, for example, God promises to forgive if we confess. Mm -hmm. God does not necessarily promise to remove all consequences of those sins. Yeah. Right? We still deal with real consequences from sin in our lives, and also not just from sin, but from poor choices. Mm -hmm. Um, There are real consequences that have to be dealt with. God... God's not like a like a slot machine or a magic genie who just takes away all your pain as we were talking about earlier. There are still challenges. And I love this that he he honors their free will enough 
to allow them to experience consequences. Mm -hmm. Sometimes we don't think that's a great thing, but it really is because it really means that freedom is real. Yeah. Isn't that beautiful? All right, so let's keep reading to the end of the chapter. Nevertheless, the people refused to obey the voice of Samuel, and they said, No, but we will have a king over us, that we also may be like all the nations, and that our king may judge us and go out before us and fight our battles. And Samuel heard all the words of the people, and he repeated them in the hearing of the Lord. So the Lord said to Samuel, Heed their voice and make them a king. And Samuel said to the men of Israel, Every man go to his city. Awesome. So summary of the story is basically they're not happy with Samuel's sons and how they're leading. So they come and they say, hey, we're going to give you an ultimatum. This is what's going to go down. We want a king. Mm -hmm. And they, they reject God's system, not because, and what we're saying, not, God's system wasn't for these people to be doing unruly things. They were breaking the system. But instead of coming to God and asking for God to fix the problem, they said, God, you need to fix the problem our way. Mm -hmm. Here's what we're going to do. And God, in his forbearance, he allows this and says, okay, you're going to experience the consequences of that, but I'm still going to lead you. Yeah. And that's a pretty cool thing. It's something that I love, actually. Um, we, we might talk about at the end a little bit more as well. But yeah, just the fact that we make decisions and they can be wrong decisions and we still need God to lead us and he doesn't leave us even though we make poor decisions and he provides things for us. He provides um, ways in which we can deal with those things even though we've had poor decisions. And I think that that's such a, a caring and a loving God that we see that even though he knew and he forewarned them, he said, it's okay, I'm going to be with you and I'm not going to leave them. Isn't that powerful, man? Yeah. Such a beautiful picture. So keep that in mind. For all of you out there who are like me, who've made decisions in life where you're like, oh man, that was a bad one. That was a doozy. Doesn't mean necessarily that everything's all lost because when we surrender that to God now, even the things that we have done poorly in the past, when we take that now and we surrender it to Jesus, God is able to bring good things out of even our bad decisions Amen. when we surrender them to him. I love Romans eight twenty eight, which says, we know that all things work together for good to those who love God and are called according to his purpose that he's able to bring even our hurts and our pains to bring good out of that when we surrender it to him. Yeah. Beautiful. So from here, basically, rather than reading the whole next chapter, we're gonna, we're gonna let you guys read chapter nine on your own mm -hmm. uh, for a bit of the backstory. And we're gonna just highlight a couple things from Samuel, 1 Samuel chapter 10. And this is basically just looking at how did, how did the king then get established? So the first king of Israel, his name was Saul. He was from the, the smallest tribe of Israel, Benjamin. He was from a very small family in the tribe of Benjamin. But he was the one who was selected to be king, and God selected him for this purpose. And we're going to find in his story some powerful lessons. So let's go to 1 Samuel chapter 10. Let's read verse 1. Then Samuel took a flask of oil and poured it on his head, and kissed him and said, Is it not because the Lord has anointed you commander over his inheritance? All right, so this is going on with Saul. And Samuel follows basically the, the, the ordinance that they would do to, to anoint someone, which means to set someone apart for a, a responsibility or a role. And they would do this with the high priest when they anointed him for his duties. They would do it with the priest. They'd anoint them, right? They would put oil on them. And what we see in Scripture is that oil is a symbol of God's spirit. And so there's this powerful thing that's going on here. He's anointing him with oil and saying, you are being set apart by God to be led by his spirit to do this task. 
And so Saul is anointed by Samuel yeah. to take the position of king. And in this, there's more to the story, but we don't have time to go into all the details. We're going to read from verse 9 and 10 in a moment. And basically what's going on here is that Samuel starts to talk to Saul. He has a conversation with him. And he tells him, these are some of the things that are going to happen. So if this was you, and you were about to be set up as the first king over a nation, like, that'd be a bit scary. And so I, he gives him some signs. Yeah, I was going to say, actually, um, we'll find out later, we, or we can say what Saul did. And I think I would have done the same thing that Saul did when he found out that he was going to be king. It'll come, it'll come. <laughs> All right, let's read 9 and 10. So it was when he had turned his back to go from Samuel that God gave him another heart, and all those signs came to pass that day. When they came there to the hill, there was a group of prophets to meet him. Then the Spirit of God came upon him, and he prophesied among them. All right, so let's highlight a couple things. First of all, and we didn't read this, but we're, we're giving you some context, so go ahead and read that on your own, First Samuel chapter 9, to get the details. But God had chosen Saul, he told Samuel, this is the guy. Mm. And so when Saul shows up, it says that he, Samuel heard a voice in his ear of God saying, that's the man, anoint him king. So he goes and does this. He anoints him as king. Here we hear that he's, he's been given signs that are going to accompany him, to give him confirmation. Because mm-hmm. it's a pretty big deal being made king over a nation, first of all. And the first king, I mean, there's likely to be people who are not happy about this, right? So this is going to take a lot of courage. And so he says, this is going to happen. You're going to see this when you get here. And this is going to happen with your donkeys. And you're going to meet this person. And then this group of prophets is going to come. And when you meet them, the spirit of the Lord is going to come upon you. And you're also going to prophesy with mm. the prophets. Yeah. And then it says that all the signs that Samuel said would take place took place. Mm-hmm. And he meets the prophets there in the story. And then it says the Holy Spirit came upon him. And he began to give prophecy. Yeah. Isn't this a, an interesting thing? So the spirit of God came upon him. What was symbolized by the oil took place in real life. Yeah. So he goes on, he goes on in that journey and then it comes into the story a little bit later and it talks about how they're ready to now proclaim the king. Yeah. Now it's time to basically say, "Hey, this is the dude God's chosen. Here's your king." And this is what Samuel's about to do. So as we come down you get into verse 17, and for sake of time, we're not going to read it all. But basically, it just says that Samuel calls all the people together, tells them a bit of their history, and he's like, hey, look, you today have rejected your God, who himself saved you from all your adversities mm. and your tribulations, and you've said to him, no, 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 we don't want you to be our leader, set a king over us. Now, therefore, present yourselves before the Lord by your tribes and your clans. And so they all gather together in, you know, like ducks in a row. Benjamin's here and all of their clans. Mm-hmm. Judah's here and all of their clans. Levi's here and all of their clans, et cetera, all the way through the 12 tribes. And then it says that they are ready to find out who the king is. So they inquire of the Lord, it says, has the man come here yet? And so the Lord answers, there he is. He's <laughs> hiding among the equipment. <laughs> and he's the tallest and the biggest guy. Like it says he's a head and the shoulders above everybody That's else. right. And not, and not like a giraffe. He's this, just really tall. Yeah. I just imagine at this point, this sort of like gentle giant sort of crouching. And he, there's no way he can hide, really. Like, you know, he's this big dude, but there he is hiding. And I thought, oh, that's probably what I would be doing. <laughs> I love it. I love it. So let's read from there. So let's read from verse 23 through 24. Mm-hmm. 
So they ran and brought him from there. And when he stood among the people, he was taller than any of the people from his shoulders upward. And Samuel said to all the people, Do you see him whom the Lord has chosen, that there is no one like him among all the people? So all the people shouted and said, Long live the king. All right. Now, it's interesting to note, he went and hid among the equipment. He was mm-hmm. kind of scared about being put in this position. I can understand that. Yeah. It's not easy to be put in a position of leadership when God calls you to be in that space. It can be very challenging. Mm. But what's interesting to me is that he doesn't come out when Samuel calls him out. Hey, there he is. He's hiding in that equipment store right there. Yeah. He doesn't get up. It says that the people came and, oh, we see him. Yeah. <laughs> they come and they get him and they collect <laughs> him and bring him to the front. He's a reluctant leader. Yeah. But there they crown him king, essentially, and they declare him king. Now, it goes on to say that there are some. Now, oh, let's just read the rest of the chapter. Let's finish it out. Mm-hmm. Then Samuel explained to the people the behavior of royalty and wrote it in a book and laid it up before the Lord. And Samuel sent all the people away, every man to his house. And Saul also went home to Gibeah, and valiant men went with him, whose hearts God had touched. But some rebels said, How can this man save us? So they despised him and brought him no presents, but he held his peace. Now, isn't that interesting? And I think that there's, well, there's obviously a number of lessons here, but isn't it true that you can't please everyone? Yeah. Right? And I think that this is an important thing for all of us to think about, Mm -hmm. whether you're in a position of leadership or whether you're in a position of, of anything, right? Just a person in a family, just a person in a friend group, just a person at work, et cetera. The reality is you cannot please everyone. Yeah. And if you try... You will bend over backwards and you will sweat it all out and you will get so stressed that you'll crumple and you still won't make everyone happy. That's not what you're called to do in life. What we are called to do in life is to be faithful to God. We're supposed to do the right thing and guess what? Sometimes that's going to step on toes. Mm -hmm. Sometimes that's going to lose friends. Sometimes it's going to mean rejection. But I love that that's highlighted here that even though they got the king, they got all the things that they'd asked for, God even allowed them to do these things that, that was a rejection of him, and he says, I'll still, I'll still bless you, even though that's the case. Yeah. Even then, there were still people who were not happy. Mm-hmm. And I think that the way that Saul responded to this is beautiful because it says he held his peace. And so he didn't start off by saying, you, just, you wanted a king, and now I'm here, and now you're not treating me like a king. There are people who are rejecting him and he holds his peace because he's like, I'm here because God's called me. And you need to, exactly what you said, Robbie, you need to be faithful and do the best that you can do. And maybe someone else could do something differently and would have done it, but God chose you for a purpose and for a particular position. And you do the best that you can do. You be faithful and God will bring results out of that. Totally. Totally. Oh, it's such encouraging words. I love it. But What's going to happen next is the big question that's on our minds. So Saul is now set up. He's going to be king, and he holds his peace. The question is, what happens next? This is Steve Green. That's where the joy comes from. Your life and mine are empty vessels. Waiting to be filled God is pouring out a joy unmeasured On those who obey His will He is the giver, we're the receiver So what you see in me Is only a gift from the Spirit of life Who fills my heart constantly 
may try to rob my treasure, but they don't hold the key that leads into the sanctuary where God's Spirit lives in me. He is the builder, I am the temple, so what you see in me is what He is making and safely protecting until I stand complete. Welcome back to Real Faith with Robbie and Beck. You're listening to Faith FM. And this is going to be our, our final reminder for today to send in a question for question of the week. Um, if you get it in later, we would love to still have it. We just won't be able to get to it today. Uh-huh. Um, and if we run out of time, we'll get to it next week anyway. So again, if you'd like to call in with any kind of question, big or small, complex or otherwise, mm-hmm. we'd love to hear from you. You can call in at 1-800-324-843. That's 1-800-FAITH-FM. Or you can text in at 0491-064-669. That's 0491-064-669. Or send us a message on our Facebook page, mm-hmm. Faith FM Australia. All right. So Saul's been anointed king. And I love how we, how we finished that last section. Like, he holds his peace. Sometimes, <laughs> sometimes the best way to lead is just to hold your peace and give people enough rope that they, they do it themselves, yes. right? Like if you've yes. got somebody who's doing the wrong thing, just give them enough rope, they'll sort it out, right? Mm-hmm. Like <laughs> yeah. it's a bit of a rough way to say it. But the truth is sometimes sometimes people who are antagonistic will often, if they're in the wrong, you leave them enough space and they'll, they'll undo themselves, mm-hmm. right? Like they'll be their own undoing. You don't have to step in and, and be the negative person. You don't have to step in and do the same thing that they're doing. And often the results will be, it'll come out what they're doing and they'll have to deal with the consequences and you still have your dignity. Yeah, and be, be faithful to the task. Be faithful to what God has called you to. That's exactly right. There's this, um, this passage in, I think, ooh, Timothy, where Paul is talking to Timothy and he's sending him a letter and he says, don't get tied up in endless genealogies and different things which lead to um, arguments about nothing. Basically, he's saying don't get tied up in things that lead to nothing because your work is elsewhere. If you spend your time trying to plug all those holes then and those problems that people have, then you're not actually going to be doing the work that I've sent you to do. Boom. What a powerful point. Awesome. So let's read our last chapter is 1 Samuel chapter 11, and we're going to read about Saul's first exploits as king. Yes. He starts off well. He starts off well. So chapter 11 verse That was one. a foreshadow for next week. Uh-huh. Then Nahash the Ammonite 
came up and encamped against Jabesh Gilead. And all the men of Jabesh said to Nahash, Make a covenant with us and we will serve you. And Nahash the Ammonite answered them, On this condition I will make a covenant with you, that I may put out all your right eyes and bring reproach on all Israel. So check this out, right? These Israelites are hanging out in their town. These enemies come from the country of Ammon and they, they basically like besiege their city. And they come and they say, oh man, this is what's going down. The Israelites send back, hey, hey, let's, let's, let's make a treaty, right? Let's, let's yeah. figure something out here make so we don't have to, here. yeah, let's, let's not have a battle. Mm. And they say, oh yeah, we'll make peace with you if you let us poke out the right eye of every single person, yeah. right? It's horrible. That's a pretty tall order. And so, what, like, what would you do in that situation? Yeah, well, I think um, here probably what that they did. Um, it's pretty good. Let's yeah. find out what they did. Yeah. So it says, then the elders of Jabesh said to him, Hold off for seven days that we may send messengers to all the territory of Israel. And then if there was no one to save us, we will come out to you. So he basically says, give us a little bit of time here and we're going to see if we can rally some extra support. Yeah. Fair call. Fair call. In verse 4, so the messengers came to Gibeah of Saul and told the news in the hearing of the people. And all the people lifted up their voices and wept. Now there was Saul coming behind the herd from the field. And Saul said, what troubles the people that they weep? And they told him the words of the men of Jabesh. Then the Spirit of God came upon Saul when he heard this news and his anger was greatly aroused. So he took a yoke of oxen and cut them in pieces and sent them throughout all the territory of Israel by the hands of messengers, saying, Whoever does not go out with Saul and Samuel to battle, so it shall be done to his oxen. And the fear of the Lord fell on the people and they came out with one consent. When he numbered them in Bezek, the children of Israel were 300,000 and the men of Judah, 30,000. And they said to the messengers who came, Thus you shall say to the men of Jabesh Gilead, Tomorrow, by the time the sun is hot, you shall have help. Then the messengers came and reported it to the men of Jabesh, and they were glad. Therefore the men of Jabesh said, Tomorrow we will come out to you, and you may do with us whatever seems good to you. So the word comes back to Saul, right? Yeah. And I love this. It says that the Spirit of the Lord came upon him. And notice, what was his response? Yeah, he gets angry. Angry. And he gets a righteous anger. What we see, righteous means right doing. And so he gets this anger, which wants him causes him to want to do right. And something that Robbie and I were talking about earlier is that anger isn't always bad. And we can have definitely ungodly anger, but then there's a godly anger, anger at injustice, anger at things that are wrong. Fully. And it says the spirit of God comes on him and he gets angry because of what these men want to do to his people. Totally. And I think that, you know, sometimes we fall into the trap of thinking that God is only ever kind and nice and, uh, what, what shall I say? What's the word I'm looking for? Soft. Um, soft. That's a great word for it. We think that God is just soft and fuzzy. And the truth is, he's not. And at first, sometimes that makes people arc up and go, oh, but that's, but, but what you're saying is that he's, he's angry mm -hmm. and he's this and he's, he's that all the time. Well, that's not the case either. But let me ask you a question. If your child is in danger and somebody has mal intent or ill intent towards them and they're going to physically harm your child, What's the appropriate response to that? Yeah, it's, it's not soft. It's absolutely to be angry and it's to, to be defend, angry and you know? to protect, right? Mm -hmm. And so we see this happen here that the spirit of God comes upon Saul and his response led by the Holy Spirit is that he is angered at the injustice that these people would come in and threaten God's people and to suffer them violence. Mm -hmm. 
Now, this is an important point for us to take note of because there are times where we should be upset and that, that anger should, should not lead us to sin. That's very, it's a very clear distinction. Paul says, in your anger, do not sin. Yeah. Right? He doesn't say anger is the sin itself, mm -hmm. but often when we're angry, we then can choose to do sin because we don't act reasonably. Yeah. But what's going on here is that the passion that is felt because of the Holy Spirit putting it on Saul's heart is that they come to rally support to protect those who are about to be abused by an enemy. Mm -hmm. and this is a powerful thing. And that it's a it's a godly anger. It's something, you know, the spirit of the Lord comes on him. And this is something that I'm reminded, um, I know we've talked about before as well. From my childhood, I used to watch and read the Chronicles of Narnia by C.S. Lewis. And there's this point where there's this lion named Aslan. And he's to represent God, basically. He's representing Jesus. And there's these other animals who aren't as strong as him. And these kids ask and they say, oh, is this lion, is this lion safe? safe? And yeah. they say, no, of course he's not safe. He's a lion. But they say, but he's good. And I think that that's what we need. If, if I'm around someone who's a godly person and they're angry for good reason and I know they're doing the right thing, I feel safe. And I think that's not because the situation is safe, but because that person is good. Mm. And it's the same thing when we come to God. We know that he will, in his righteousness, he will protect his people. That's right. And it's such a powerful thing. It's an important thing to remember because when you're in a position where you have been victimized, you've been abused, you don't want a soft God who's just going to pat that person on the back and tolerate evil. Yeah. You want someone who's going to hold them accountable. There mm -hmm. is forgiveness for those who are repentant. But if we're not willing to, to repent or to turn and we're going to continue abusing, then there's time for someone to step in and take action. Yeah. And that's what God does through Saul here. Mm -hmm. So let's find out what happens. They come on and they basically say, hey, we're coming. Mm -hmm. And what's amazing about this is that they're putting themselves out on the line. They're willing to sacrifice to save someone else. And mm -hmm. that's an important aspect of it too. Yeah. It's not for selfish gain. It's for the protection of others. Mm -hmm. All right, let's read the rest of the story. So it was on the next day that Saul put the people in three companies and they came into the midst of the camp in the morning watch and killed Ammonites until the heat of the day. And it happened that those who survived were scattered so that no two of them were left together. Then the people said to Samuel, Who is he who said, Shall Saul reign over us? Bring us the men that we may put them to death. But Saul said, Not a man shall be put to death this day, for today the Lord has accomplished salvation in Israel. Then Samuel said to the people, Come, let us go to Gilgal and renew the kingdom there. So all the people went to Gilgal, and there they made Saul king before the Lord in Gilgal. There they made sacrifices of peace, offerings before the Lord, and there Saul and all the men of Israel rejoiced greatly. Oh, I love this, because it continues right on with what we're talking about, right? Mm -hmm. So there's, so they go in, they have the battle, they defeat their enemies, and they protect these people who had been victimized and abused. And what's really amazing is that you see the, what would be the opposite yeah. of what we're talking about of righteous anger yes. being espoused by the people. Mm -hmm. Some of them come in and they're like, yeah, we've won the war. We've defeated the enemies. Now, where are those doubters? Mm -hmm. Let's kill them. Yeah. Right? Where are those rebels, the ones who said, who is this Saul who will lead us? Let's mm -hmm. take them out. And at this point, Saul could very easily have said, yeah, let's go take out my enemies mm -hmm. and been full of himself and could have done angrily 
for his own gain. Yeah, and we see that it. Yeah, the opposite. But and the opposite happens. He doesn't have because he has a righteous anger. It was a godly anger, and here we see the goodness of Saul's heart at this point when he says, "No, it's the Lord that's won the battle Boom. for us." It is and the I Lord think that's who won. Such an awesome thing because they did it. Through the power of God. God gave them that ability and he attributes it to God. And he said, this wasn't me, this was God. And he, again, remains faithful to the task and he's not getting caught up in all these other things. Fully. And he doesn't He doesn't go about taking the, the righteous anger that he had and then misdirecting it to do things for selfish gain mm. and for building his own name. He says, no, 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 no. We're not going to do that. They learned the lesson, right? They saw. They saw that God was with us that God has set me in this position mm-hmm. and that when we did what God led through this decision-making process and we followed God and acted righteously, rightly in this circumstance, that God took care of our needs. Yeah. And I love that. It's so powerful because it's not about self, it's about others. Yeah. So powerful. Hey. Absolutely. It's something that's always a blessing is when we can we can work for God and he can use us to help others. And we see that Saul, who was someone who didn't want this position, he actually was fit for this task. God fitted him for this task. Um, and so, yeah, this beginning part that we see in Saul's life is such a blessing. Oh, totally. And I love what you're saying there, that, it, that God fitted him for that. And what was the, the preparation? That he was humble in his heart. And he accepted the Spirit of God to be his leader and his guide in truth and righteousness. This is Melissa Otto, Until We Both Know.
To Real Faith with Robbie and Beck, and I'd like you to know what time it is. Woo! And it is time for Question of the Week. Oh, yeah. Love it. All right. So, welcome back. We're time to deal with Question of the Week. Now, we've got a bunch of questions today, so thank you all for your calling in and texting in. We're going to try and get through as many as we can in this eight minutes, and hopefully we'll get through. We've got four questions today. The first one is from Owen, and it was this is regarding our study on Rahab a few weeks back, and it says this, just a thought, if Rahab's only knowledge of the true God was by Joshua's victory over Canaan, and she had no knowledge of God's laws, the question is, did she do any wrong at all when she lied to hide the spies? And the answer to that question two things that I think are important to note. The first thing is that in Joshua chapter 2, verse 10 and 11, she actually says when the spies first arrived, so before Joshua had come in, before the city was captured, she actually says, for we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt, and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were on the other side of the Jordan, Sion and Gog, whom you utterly destroyed. And as soon as we heard these things, our hearts melted Neither did there remain any more courage in anyone because of you, for the Lord your God, he is God in heaven above and on earth beneath. And so the first point I'd just like to make is that she had heard about who God was to some extent before that. She may or may not have known about his laws. We don't know too much about that. However, the question is still a great question because if she did not know these things and it was committed in ignorance, the question is, is that still sin? Yeah. And there are a couple of passages I'd like to look at uh, just to answer that, the first one is in Leviticus chapter 4. Now, in Leviticus chapter 4, it goes through how to do sin offerings, which they would do in the Old Testament. And it says here, if a person sins unintentionally, right, so ignorantly, they don't know that they were doing this, against any of the commandments of the Lord and anything which ought not to be done and does any of them, and then it goes on to say if it was the priest, if it was a normal person in the camp, if it was any of these people that they actually needed to come and offer a sin offering for that sin when they became aware that they had committed it. And so what's interesting there is that it was committed in ignorance, but they still needed to make an offering for it when they became aware of it. Yeah. The second thing I'd like to say is that in the New Testament, in Acts chapter 17, when Paul is speaking to the Athenians, he says something very interesting. He's speaking to them about idolatry, which we know according to the Ten Commandments is sin, worshiping these false gods. But he says here, truly, these times of ignorance God overlooked, but now commands all men everywhere to repent or to turn because he has appointed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by the man whom he has ordained. He's given assurance to this by raising him from the dead. And so the point there is that there are sins that we commit in ignorance, and God does overlook those things when we don't know them, but it doesn't mean that it was not sin. Mm -hmm. Jesus still had to pay for those sins, and it's interesting that in the, the Day of Atonement, they actually would come together and they would pray, is there anything that I did that I'm not aware of that I need to confess so that they might have a clean conscience before God, and that's really the attitude we should all have yeah. regarding that, but great question, mm -hmm. Owen. So the question is, was there sin? Yes, but because it was committed in ignorance, God had overlooked it. But now God's calling us not to be living in ignorance, but to be 
repentant of all things that are not of God. Mm-hmm. Next question is, so thank you for that question, Owen. Can we just scroll down there, Liam, so we can see the next question? The next question is, three days and three nights when Jesus died, were they literal three days and three nights because Jesus dies on Friday night? or sorry, Friday afternoon, and he raises on Sunday. That's not three days and three nights. And so let's have a look at that. Um, Beck, can I get you to open up to Matthew chapter 12, verse 38 and 40. Mm -hmm. Now, this is the passage that's being mentioned here, and this passage is where Jesus makes a prophecy where he says that a sign will be given to you, but that sign will be the sign of Jonah. Mm -hmm. Would you like to read that for us? Then some of the scribes and Pharisees answered, saying, Teacher, we want to see a sign from you. But he answered and said to them, An evil and adulterous generation seeks after a sign, and no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Awesome. So the heart of the earth. Now this is the question. First of all, is that referring to the tomb? And the, the answer to that question is, we don't have other passages in Scripture that I'm aware of that are explicitly talking about that as being in the tomb. Second thing is that the comparison is that Jonah was not also in the tomb. He was in the belly of the fish. He was taken to the depths of the earth. He was in great tribulation. Yeah. And he was at risk and suffering. And what's really interesting to note is that Jesus is suffering being laid over sorry, handed over to the uh, the scribes and the Pharisees, the religious leaders, and then the Romans. And the sin that began to take place and wait on him actually didn't start on Friday. It started on Thursday night. Yeah. When he was in the Garden of Gethsemane, it says that, he says that my hour has come. Mark 14, 41 states, states that, excuse me. <clears throat> he came the third time and he said, are you still sleeping and resting? It is enough. The hour has come. Behold, the Son of Man is being betrayed into the hands of sinners. And then Judas comes and he's betrayed. This happens on Thursday night. And so he actually is taking the weight of the sins of the world onto him there. It says in the Luke passage, I believe, that his sweat begins to drip like blood and has Mm. blood in it. And this is happening because the weight of sin is upon him. Excuse me, I've got a dry throat today. (laughs) And so it mentions this in another couple of places. Just as they finished their last Passover meal, my hour is coming, my hour has come. And he begins to take the weight of the sin on the, onto him, and he goes through this process. And so this actually takes place. Yeah, so this actually <coughs> takes place um, on starting on a Thursday, and then it moves on into the Friday when he's crucified. And on the Saturday, he's in the grave. And so it actually starts Thursday night and so if you Friday add, night that's right. and Saturday night, and that is, it turns into three days and three nights, and then he's raised on the Sunday. So it is actually the same amount of time that he was going through that trial and tribulation. That's right. So Thursday night and Friday morning, one day. Mm-hmm. Friday night, Saturday morning, second day and mm-hmm. night. Saturday night, Sunday morning, third mm-hmm. day and night. So hopefully yeah. that helps with your question there. Our next question is, how do you think Hannah felt about giving up her son, Samuel, and only seeing him once a year. And this question comes from Emily. Yeah. So, Em, we don't have lots of time to answer this, but thank you for sending in your question. And basically, I f- we were thinking Hannah would have felt um, sad about not being able to see him all the time, but it was her promise that she made to God. And so she would have felt really happy that she had a son, really happy that she could 
give him back to God because that's what she promised. But also she would have seen him every year apart from the first few years where she grew him up. And then after that, she saw him yearly and she would have been able to see the fulfillment of what he was doing for God. But also God visited her again and blessed her with more children. So she had three more sons and two daughters. So she had six children all up. So she wasn't at home with no children. She had five more children at home. And then she had Samuel, who she had chosen to give to the Lord. And she was honoring her agreement. And in doing that, we believe that that she probably would have felt um, really blessed because she was doing what she'd said that she was going to do. She was blessed that she had a son. She was It was her firstborn. And then she would have seen him be growing in the Lord and be leading the people. And she would have been really proud of him. So although she didn't have him all the years, um, she was really blessed by having him as her son. And then God provided for her other children as well. Awesome. Our last question today is from Jeff. And his question is, is the term Lord only referring to Jesus or to God as the collective Trinity? Or is it also used to reference directly God the Father or the Holy Spirit? And we've just got a couple quick verses. We don't have a lot of time on that. But I'd like to just have a look at those. Um, can you look up for us, Beck, 2 Corinthians 3, verse 17? Yeah. And so this is a place where the word Lord is used to refer to the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. It says, Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. So basically saying that the Lord is the Spirit. They are one and the same, but the Spirit is Lord and Lord is the Spirit. That's awesome. So that's speaking directly to the Holy Spirit. There are other places we could look, but for sake of time, we'll just have a look at that one. A second one is that in Hebrews, you have a place where God the Father is speaking to Jesus, right? Pre-incarnation at this point in the story. But he actually... It actually uses the word Lord on both of these. And it says in Hebrews 1 verse 10, You, Lord, in the beginning laid the foundation... Ah, sorry. Laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you will remain. Oh, I'm reading the wrong one. Sorry, guys. <laughs> Where is it? Dun, dun, dun. Where is it? This is bad on the radio. <laughs> Anyway, okay. we might have to, we've run out of time. I'm going to, I'm going to look that up in the break and we're going to come back. Sorry, yeah. I had the wrong verse in front of me. We'll come back to that in a moment. Sounds good. We're going to take a break now. And this is Meribeth Jordan and Kirk Kirkland, Victory in Jesus.
Welcome back to Real Faith with Robbie and Beck. You're listening to Faith FM. We're so glad that we've been able to have you join us for today's Bible study and our radio show. Just to finish up, because I ended on a bad note on that last one, I had the verse, so sorry about that, Jeff. The passage in Hebrews 1 is God the Father speaking to Jesus and calling him God, but it wasn't the word Lord. So the verse I was thinking of is actually in Psalm 110, verse 1, and it says, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. And in Matthew chapter 22, verse 43 to 45, Jesus is speaking to a group of people, and he references this verse as well. And he says the very same thing. He says, he said to them, how then does David in the spirit call him, the son of man, Lord, saying, the Lord said to my Lord. So the Lord referring to the Father, said to my Lord, referring to the Son, Jesus, sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. If David then calls him Lord, how is he his son, David's son? Um, And so that is just a couple of passages that hopefully answer that question. There are more that could be looked at, but for sake of time, we'll leave it there. So I hope that's a blessing to you, Jeff. And I'd just like to thank all four of our callers in with the questions. absolutely. Blessings to you. Keep them coming. We love to hear from you. And um, in the last couple minutes, we just want to drive home some applications. What can we take out of the story of Samuel and Saul today? Yeah. Um, so we saw basically the people turning away and wanting a king, and that wasn't God's plan for them. But so something we can draw from that straight away is we should follow God's plan, not Boom. what we want. You know, the, the other nations, they're like, we want to be like the other nations. God's never 
intended for them to be like the other nations. He wanted them to be different. But even so, when they made a poor decision, that gives us hope because God doesn't leave them. He he helps them get a king and then he gives his spirit to that king. Totally. So you might have messed up big time mm-hmm. on plan A, on plan B, on plan C, on plan D, EFG, etc., etc. But when you surrender these things to Jesus, God is able to turn plan Z into something better than you could ever have imagined. Yeah. And I think that's an important thing to realize. Sometimes we think we're beyond we're beyond help or that God can't rectify or redeem our our situation because we've made so many poor choices. Mm-hmm. It's not true. Yeah. God is able to redeem and to do more than we can ask or imagine mm-hmm. with our circumstances when we're willing to surrender to him and to allow him to lead us. And yeah. I think that's the key. It's not that we can just keep doing whatever we want and then God's going to make it prosperous. That's mm-hmm. not the case. Mm-hmm. But when we surrender our lives and our brokenness to him, he's able to bring good, better good than we could ever imagine out of the things that we have even made mistakes in. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a, a very hopeful thing. Yeah. And I probably, the final point maybe for today is that God's spirit is the one that did the work and changed Saul. It said that God's spirit came upon him and he allowed himself to be used by God's spirit. And so for us, even when we make mistakes or when if we are not and we're trying to follow God, we need God's spirit. And so to have that, we need to pray and ask for him to come and fill us and fill our lives. And that's the appeal from us today. God wants us to have his Holy Spirit living in us. He wants to come and dwell in your heart and in mine. And the way that we can experience that is by surrendering and inviting him in. And so we just want to encourage you to do that today. Invite the Holy Spirit into your life. May God bless you and keep you in this week to come. And remember that real faith is lived faith. faith.